Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. It's short track racing is where all racing started. I mean, it's even the NASCAR world started short track racing back in the day. And we just want to tell a great story. to And to, not a story. We want to tell factual guidelines. Hear the unfiltered, honest stories of how grassroots racers have and can achieve their racing goals. Fast car to NASCAR. Hosted by NASCAR driver Mike Wallace on the SpeedSport Podcast Network. All right, welcome everybody to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourself in, pull those belts tight as we take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. And oh boy, we're going to bring you some guests over the next several weeks. Our our friends from NASCAR, in this case, our relatives from NASCAR. <laughs> we have the one and only Kenny Wallace online. Mike Wallace, take it away. Well, I first of all got to tell everybody, this is my brother, Herm. <laughs> okay, well, listen, since you started with that, that was going to be my question, because I know, Kenny, that your nickname is Herman. There's got to be a story there, right? There's got to be, yeah, there... and, and he's going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is a story behind it. So, uh, you know, when I was a kid, uh, there was a big German man. His name was Bob Miller. Bob stood about uh, six foot three. Uh, and he was a race car driver, and he became a promoter. And uh, he nicknamed me Herman the German uh, for a lot of reasons. Number one is I was always in the grandstands fighting all the fans because they didn't like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, me and me and our mama, uh, we would fight the fans. And then uh, then Bob owned a car lot too. And I think if he had about twenty cars on that car lot, I would get in and out of every car he had and pretend I was like David Pearson or Kay Yarborough. Bob said, I, I wore the steering boxes out on the cars 
when the cars were sitting still in the parking lot. <laughs> so, yeah, it was Bob Miller. He nicknamed me Herman the German, and then it just went Herman, Hermanator. But, uh, yeah, when I look back on that, I think I was nicknamed that at such a young age that it just doesn't even register to me anymore. Yeah. All right. Well, Herman, welcome to the show. That is a great story. Uh, I noticed on social media that that you spent some time in Sturgis. What you got for us? Give us the dirt. Man, it was the best. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I saw uh, I only saw my my naked people uh, with their tops off. Obviously, the ladies uh, and I know everybody's interested. And that's first. That's the first thing they want to know is, did you see naked people? Right. Uh, I'm getting a visual. Saw- <laughs> yep, I saw topless ladies. I saw topless ladies riding on the back of their husband or boyfriend's motorcycles downtown Sturgis. So that that I did see. Uh, we were out at the Full Throttle, uh, which is a really uh, really interesting place. A lot of fun, big open outdoor place. Uh, I saw two crazies there. I took pictures of them. They loved me. We got along very well because I'm crazy too. And I posted that picture all over my internet, all over my social media. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, really, Sturgis was a great time for me because it was my first time. And, uh, you know, thank you to, to our brother, Rusty, uh, who, you know, builds custom-made motorcycles. They had a, a bike for me. And as Mike can tell you, we grew up motocross racing and riding. So, uh, But the, these Harley-Davidson's, they're a different deal. They're very heavy. And we did a lot of writing. Uh, I had the time of my life meeting new people. And uh, it was a great time. It sounds like it. Note to self, buy a motorcycle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Herm, out there at Sturgis, I mean, of course, we're following you on social media because we live vicariously through you anymore. Uh, tell me about hanging out with Walker Evans and the snake, Don Perdome. Right, and I knew I knew that that you liked that because uh, you commented on that, and uh, you well, know, you, you've you told know. us that in the past. Now you got a picture of this. Herman always says, "I know you guys like my stuff, but you won't comment on it. Just tell me you Correct. like it or not." <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. That, that, that's psychological one on one. You know, it's not that I'm smart; it's just that the older I get, I learn. It's so strange. I even asked my wife Kim, the love of my life. I'm like, "Do you ever read my stuff?" She goes, "All the time." She goes, I see everything. I said, well, why don't you like it or comment on it? Because I'll even go to the like page uh, and see who does. And, and Instagram's real easy. Mark Martin is my biggest fan, the great Mark Martin, the NASCAR driver. He, you know, Mark came and saw me at, at Billings, Montana a couple weeks ago. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm only encouraged if people like it. If people don't like it, then I just I don't do it. So, uh, yeah, brother, I got to tell you, you know, uh, Don the Snake Perdome, saved my life uh years ago you know i wasn't real confident in my ability and things weren't going good and the snake uh, gave me a real good talk out in vegas and it really helped me and then of course we all know about you know the 10 12 time champion off-road truck champion walker evans and uh i got a little more therapy from those guys uh we sat down we talked for three straight days and the highlight i took away from those two were i told them that i was thinking about you know selling my dirt racing equipment and racing one more year and they both told me i was crazy because they're of age now and they're bored so uh, 
Sounds like something in between, brother. Uh, you know, uh, maybe just not race as much as I'm racing. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot of money to run this car. So uh, they gave me some great advice. And, uh, you know, this Nate told some great stories about his career. And I, I was glued to everything he said. And uh, I really enjoyed myself sitting around every night when we would get back from a ride and listening to their stories. Well, that's incredible. The one question, and we're going to make this quick, though, you just talked about it taking so much money to run that dirt car, you know, because right. you always say, I'm wore out, I'm tired, or whatever, but you race your And I know that aggravates you. No, no, it, it doesn't you. aggravate me at all. I love it. But what I do want to know, because, you know, we've been watching some spectacular stuff with Kyle Larson, and he's nicknamed Young Money. But you're nicknamed NASCAR Money. Right. So, so, so you should have plenty to race that car off of. So it's true. I am very wealthy. I have a lot of money put away. Um, I, I Actually, I haven't. So, you know, what happened. Now, let's do the backstory on this so we can have fun with it. Uh, that's where this all started. So uh, somewhere along the line, when I was racing my dirt car, you have a handful of people that said, well, the only reason Kenny Wallace does good is because he has that NASCAR money. And they've been saying it for 10 years. And I finally just decided to shove it right up them. And uh, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give them what they want. And I'm going to talk about how much money I got. I'm so wealthy. I don't know what to do with all my money. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I need a truck. I got this truck that I put all my money in. <laughs> so so it, it has, honestly, my hand on the Bible, it has absolutely worked out to my benefit. Every time I go to drive somebody else's race car, they all got these decals above my name saying NASCAR money. NASCAR <laughs> money. So, so it's, it's, it's actually you know, brother, you know the way it goes. The best plans are the ones that are not planned. So we just been having a really good time, and so has everybody else, because in reality, NASCAR money is the same thing as if you have a tree trimming money money, you know, let's say you got a tree trimming business, well then all of a sudden you're illegal because you you have tree trimming money. And if you're a plumber and you got a plumbing business, you're illegal because you got all that plumbing money. So <laughs> all the business people just love me. I got all these guys that do real good financially, and they go, boy, we know exactly what you're talking about. It's like you're illegal if you race and have a sponsor. So uh, we've just had a good time with it. All right. Well, in this first segment, we've changed up a lot. Normally we're hearing about old-time stuff, but we're until, we, until the break. I want to hear and tell everybody what you are doing on a a weekly, bi-weekly, all the racing you're doing, because you're doing a diverse amount of different things, besides going to things like Sturgis and that. Tell us a little bit about uh, what the race world for Kenny the Herminator is doing. Well, my life has changed for the best. I'm as happy as I've ever been, brother. Uh, I'll be 58 next week, or I'll be 58 on August 23rd, excuse me. Happy so, birthday. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, I'm so honest, you know, I've learned that if I tell people exactly the truth, it, it seems that I've learned that it helps people because we all think that sometimes, you know, we're on this island by ourselves. But to be honest, I have found absolute 
happiness and truth uh, a couple years ago. I, it's, it was 56 years old that I found peace with myself. And um, so what that means is, uh, you know, brother, here's what I've been doing. I, I, I got a good friend named John Scatoni. John is a great pilot. Uh, he flies one of those Cirrus airplanes. We've been to the Grand Canyon. We've been to Alaska. Uh, we just went to Sturgis. Uh, and, you know, be- between, you know, going to the Bahamas every year and cruise ships with my wife and family, uh, you know, I- I'm racing the dirt car when the weather's good in the middle of the summer. Uh, I-, I try to categorize my life. In other words, uh, the winters are really long. Uh, you know, winter for me is five months long and uh, the summers seem too short. So I feel like the older I get, I want to get it while the getting's good. And um, I've just been having a really good time with my life the last two years. Um, I feel like that nobody can eat me anymore. You know, my whole life I felt like that somebody could get me, that I would be poor. I'd live under a bridge in a cardboard box. And uh, <laughs> so they can't get me anymore, you know. And, uh, and that's the best feeling ever. Well, since we're both experiencing something and we're coming to the end of this break in a few minutes, tell me about the whole grandfather world. We're all grandparents now, and yep. I watch you all the time on, on your social media, and I seen the grandkids while we were in Tri-City a while back. Uh, what's that like? Well, I'm a kid myself, so, you know, as our mama, Judy, would say, uh, mom thinks that uh, I've been – mom thinks this is my – second time on earth like i've been reincarnated uh, mom says that when we would you know when i would go places like a grocery store that the, you, the kids would always stare at me and i just i love kids um they make me happy uh, they're innocent and my four grandbabies are the love of my life uh if they come into my race shop i literally on purpose uh stop what i'm doing and give them all the time in the world because I truly feel like that that's the legacy that we will leave is, is those babies remembering how much we love them and what we could do, you know, for them. So uh, Charlotte, our oldest one, is five years old. She's starting kindergarten. That's a big deal. And uh, I, I got back about one in the morning from a dirt race, and my wife woke up, Kim. And she said, oh, my God, you got to read this text. And it was so sad. Our grandbaby said to our daughter, said, uh, Mom, am I not going to be able to see Grammy anymore since I am going to school now? And and our, our daughter said, no, Charlotte, you're going to see Grammy all the time on the weekends. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't want to disappoint these babies. And we got Charlotte. We got Mila. We've got uh, Jade, and our only boy is Jet. So, uh, you know, I, I want to help make life easier for them, and uh, you know, that's that's what I love. I love them so much. So, so is it true that you take them to Chick Fil A and you just stick them in the bouncy balls and go eat your sandwich <laughs> and leave them alone? <laughs> It, it, it is true, but that was pre-coronavirus. And <laughs> I swear to God, that's accurate. So uh, when they were really babies, like two, three years old, we'd go to Chick-fil-A. Uh, and I was going on Tuesdays. And I, it's funny because that's when we would get the kids on Tuesday and Wednesdays. Little did I know that Tuesdays at Chick-fil-A here in Arnold, Missouri, 
is senior citizen day. <laughs> so so the, the old people would come into Chick-fil-A and get their free grilled chicken sandwich. It's so damn funny. <laughs> what day of the I'm week like, is that again? I got to write that down. <laughs> well, it, 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 it's, in a, it, it's, it's in the town that, that Mike and, and Rusty and myself grew up in. Arnold, Missouri, but but once again, that was pre-coronavirus, and uh, yes, I would take the kids because they they called it Chick-a-Lay. Chick-a-Lay. <laughs> Chick-a-Lay. <laughs> so yeah, that that is, hey, listen, I, I'm not perfect by any means, and uh, e- e- you know as hyper as I am, I I pay attention to them grandbabies as much as I can, but every once in a while, uh, Poppy. Deserves a break. And we go to Chick-A-Lay and I throw them in the, in the bouncy ball. Chick-A-Lay. <laughs> That's a great story. We're coming up on a break, too, so this is a good opportunity to say uh, we're, we're chatting with Kenny Wallace. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speedsport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. Our guest today via telephone, Mike's brother, Kenny Wallace. Mike, take it away. Well, Herm, we, as we said earlier in this first part of the show, as we changed the show up a little bit, we heard about some current things that you're doing now. Now we want to go where the platform of the show is. Who was Kenny Wallace before he's Kenny Wallace? Tell me about the early days you remember, the first days you remember, and when you got associated with racing. So you know it as good as I do. Uh, I remember... Growing up in Rolla, Missouri, uh, 1963, and I remember mom and dad not having enough money to keep the heat on, and me and you and Rusty woke up to a 10-degree house one day. <laughs> and and but but I also remember I also remember our dad working so hard, uh, you know, throwing a newspaper out. Uh, you know, a cab company and inevitably, uh, you know, spending all our money on racing. Right. You know, so dad, uh, dad raced, uh, all the time. And that's what we grew up around. Um, I remember, uh, you know, mom taking me everywhere, you know, cause dad and, and you and Rusty were busy working on the race cars. So, you know, I'm four years younger than you, seven years younger than Rusty. So if in my early days, it was hard for me to hang out with you two. So mom took care of me. And, uh, you know, uh, that's what I remember. And then, you know, we ended up just moving back to St. Louis where I was born originally. And uh, I think the highlight in my early life was simply going to Lake Hill Speedway in Valley Park, Missouri. And watching uh, you, and watching Rusty, and watching Dad race. And at an early age, what I really remember also is wanting to do what you all did. So I'm I'm really Kenny Wallace that just wanted to do what his family was doing. And uh, I, you know, had a a really big delay in that. Uh, I remember Dad saying, you know, the economy was so bad. We had that uh, fuel crisis. Uh, we didn't have any money for me to become a race car driver. I, hell, I didn't know how to get going. So I ended up spending a whole bunch of my early career becoming a fabricator and mechanic first. 
and I ended up, uh, you know, helping you a little bit uh, with your dirt car, winning a lot of races. Stop right there. I got to let Jeff know this story. So yeah. when Kenny was helping me, he's, he's very chassis knowledgeable. Like, he's really smart. Right. And he knows everything about it. So he's helping me on my dirt car. And we're at a right. place called Capital Speedway in Jeff City, Missouri. Jefferson City, Missouri. <laughs> and they had a wheelbase limit on the cars at that time. And Kenny took the initiative. He was going to get the car through the little check or tech line, they'd call it, you know. <laughs> and I think our wheelbase was like... Quarter a, inch a, too long. Quarter inch long. <laughs> and, and, long or short. And you, you tell them what you did when they told you that. So we, we show up at a local track, right? Five hundred dollars to win, and uh, the great Ronnie Hoover, who works up there at Childress's, Richard Childress. You know, Ronnie Hoover works at RCR, and, and he, he, Ronnie Hoover and my brother Mike are some of the greatest race car drivers at that time in that area. And they, you know, they went at it every every night up at Jeff City, Jefferson City, Missouri. So we were going through tech inspection, which. I don't ever remember them having tech inspection. You know, they scaled away the car, things of that nature. Well, this week they decided to measure the wheelbase, and it was a quarter inch off. And I said, okay, when I get it back to the shop, I'll get it fixed. And well, the, the tech inspecting guy, no, you're not racing tonight until you get it fixed. Well, that's really hard to do at the racetrack. You got you to reset the whole front end, and it's a lot of work. And with that, that guy started roughing me and Mike up, and I just lost my mind. <laughs> and, this is the part and, I'm talking about. And I told that guy, and I told that guy, looked him right in the face, I said, do you mean to tell me there's this whole world, the trees are going out of the ground, everything's so big, and you're worried about a mother, you know, daughter <laughs> And um, I, I let it fly, and, um, you know, once I put it into perspective for that man, he realized it was not a good ideal to, because hell, we'd have, we'd probably not even made it on the track for the heat race. <laughs> um, and I said, there, there, I said, there's this whole world, and you're worried about a quarter inch. Yeah, but, but you got bigger problems. You got bigger problems. As young as he was, he he was very explicit in what his direction was about the quarter inch. <laughs> yeah. So it's one of those things you remember forever. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Gr- growing up, growing up in our family, we we. I cuss still a lot, and uh, it makes me feel very good. It's a great therapy for me. I would say I your brother. I, I would say your brother Rusty gives you a challenge in that department as well. He, oh, he beats. There's no doubt he beats me. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, so, yeah, get ready to cuss just now. <laughs> so don't cuss. But since, since we're talking yep. and laughing about this, so right. I, I uh, we were talking about Sturgis in the first part of the show. And yeah. I, I noticed Mark Martin, as you say, Mark's your huge fan on uh, social media. And I yeah. guess somebody thought you were out at a super spreader event at Sturgis, yeah. and you and you gave them a, like a four-word answer. And Mark Martin and the whole Twitter universe has went crazy with applause <laughs> for Herm. So, so what you, what'd you tell that person, Herm? So here, here's what happened. The, the, the person, you know, first of all, I, I share good news. I like to make videos and talk about things that make me happy. And I went out to Sturgis and I watched Kid Rock and I had the time of my life. I rode the motorcycle. I drank some cold beers. And this one guy said that you are a Republican. 
you are selfish and you should be in quarantine. And I just put capital letters. His name was Jeff. And I wrote, hey, Jeff, F. <laughs> uh, capital letters because because he didn't he didn't deserve any in my time right. but i wanted to set an example that if you know don't get on twitter and bash me because i don't see i don't i don't bash anybody uh but you know every once in a while i do like to uh, I, every once in a while i will i will participate in a sword fight <laughs> yeah. i mean you have to you got to stick up for yourself and p- people are it's so easy for people to be abusive like that uh, or, or judge somebody else on social media it really is i mean we look at it every day well watch it follow on herm's tweets and his facebook stuff and all that he just lays factual things out there things that we'd all like to say but we're kind of like don't want to say, you know, or scared to say, but he just says it. It doesn't matter what it is. So I'm going to jump off of that because we're getting distorted in our, we're going to have everybody confused by halfway through this show. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because I'm, I'm going to go back just for a second and I wasn't going to go back here, but early in Rolla, Missouri, do you remember crossing the street with an ice cream cone in your hand? That moment right there, I know... I know, People want I know to know that, why you're a little screwed up, so that's this is where it's going. I, I know for a fact that there's therapists and psychiatrists that think, you know, they think away, but but I'm going to say what I feel about uh, life. I, I I definitely should have been killed that day, and I'm serious. So um, Tell everybody what happened, Mike, first of all. There you yep, go. Me, me and Mike go across the street from the cab office, and we go up to uh, Main Street, to Baskin Robbins, and we get an ice cream. And we're walking back down, and we're gonna cross a, a street, and Mike has my hand, and he says, let's go. And uh, we start to take off, and he lets go of my hand so we can both run. And I'm about six years old. And uh, this guy in his car, I looked right, and I froze, and he literally, ran me right over i went underneath the car hit me i rolled under the car and uh thank god back then the cars were much higher than they are today and i mean i mean it's it it is funny but it's actually scary i mean i i got run over and went under a car right and it stood straight up with the ice cream cone in my hand. That, that had to have been that, amazing. That's the topic of this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. he, he never lost never. control of the ice cream cone <laughs> after getting hit by the car. So welcome, and, welcome, and, Kenny Wallace to the all hands team. And, and, <laughs> hey, and here's and here's the other deal. Here's the other deal. Two people watched it. My mom through the window of the cab office and Mike. And uh, I, I, you know. I don't know if you're religious or not, but I I was meant to be on this earth. Apparently, <laughs> yep. All right. Well, that that's how Herm become Herm or two at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Everybody goes, what's made him so crazy and wild? Well, there's just one yeah, story in one it. One example, yeah. So let's back back up now to get to where you were trying to kind of hang out in Rusty's world, my world, racing cars. Where, where we go from there? So... Um, I, I became a fabricator. Uh, you know, Kenny Schrader asked me to come to his shop one time and build a dashboard for one of his, you know, Siva King dirt cars. So I kind of got wrapped up in that world where, uh, you know, for some reason I just didn't race. And, 
so I became a fabricator mechanic. And then uh, in 1984, Joe Rutman uh, was running in the Cup Series with the Levi Garrett car. And uh, we were in Jefferson, Georgia. And we were down there for an asphalt race. And uh, Joe Rutman was there. And he asked me if I would uh, come to work. And I would move to, you know, right there to uh, Concord, North Carolina. And the shop was there at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. And I ended up, uh, me and my girlfriend, Kim, uh, the timing was crazy because me and my, my girlfriend, Kim, we followed my big brother, Rusty, and his wife, Patty. We followed them down the highway. And Rusty and Patty went up to, um, what's the town up there? Winston-Salem. And they went to, Rusty went and drove the uh, Gatorade number 88 car for Cliff Stewart. And I stopped in Charlotte, Concord, and I became a car chief. And then Jake Elder got fired and I became the crew chief. So um, I got caught early in my career and really stunted the growth of my racing career. And I didn't become a race car driver till I was 22 years old. And, uh, so I would say I was an all American kid, uh, and grew up in a racing family. And why did I start racing so late was because, uh, I just got caught up in my brother, Mike and brother Rusty and my dad's uh, racing. So you, you got caught up in that. You were successful. Everybody got to know you, you're popular and, uh, you decide, I think, backing up just a little bit before that, tell me about your first race that you ever ran. And to refresh your memory, it was on the Springfield Mile in Springfield, Illinois. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, first race know, now, everybody. Yeah. When I, I skipped over that because it was just a one race. So uh, remember, I was born in 1963. So that was 1982, Illinois Street Stock State Championship. Uh, about 130 cars show up. And I want to run it. I want to race. So my brother, Mike, you love me and you've always loved me <laughs> and, and, and you're always good to me. And you found our local street stock champion, which was Pat Walsh. And you convinced Pat Walsh to let me drive his car because I was not going to be a race car driver. That's fact. I was not going to be a race car driver. And you loved me so much. And you said, Pat, let Kenny drive your car up at that one mile street stock state championship. And so I went and picked a car up from Pat and I did some things that were aerodynamically awesome. And, uh, we found some tires from Justin Allgaier's dad, the, the, you know, the, the kid that runs in, uh, the Xfinity series right now. His dad is the largest tire dealer in the United States, Hoosier tire dealer. I fixed the car up aerodynamically. We put tires on it. And out of 130 cars in my first race ever, I won. And I got the trophy. <laughs> you know, I got the trophy. I think I, think I ended up with about $1,100. And uh, it was cash. It was so exciting. And then literally, literally nothing happened after that. I went, back to being, <laughs> I, I went back to being a vacuum cleaner repairman. And uh, yeah, it was in 82. But then it was in 84 that, yes, I, I ended up going down to uh, 
became a uh, NASCAR Winston Cup crew chief at like, uh, what was I, uh, 19, 20 years old, something like that. It's a good breaking point. We'll come back. Maybe we'll talk some NASCAR, some of your biggest moments in the sport. Uh, we're talking to Kenny Wallace. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. Here we go. Welcome back to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. Today's guest on the phone, Kenny Wallace. And once again, here's Mike. Well, as we move to another segment, Herm, we we, we kind of jumped around. I jumped you around because I think some of the, the Street Stock Championship was so important. But let's bring us up to speed. You're a crew chief in North Carolina, and uh, you started as a car chief, crew chief. Everybody knew you. Then what's next? So what happened was our dad, uh, Russ Wallace, called me up. I remember just like yesterday, it's, it's factual and it's accurate. Uh, dad called me and he said, uh, you need to come back home and uh, I'll pay you $20,000 a year. Uh, so I thought it was a good idea because, um, you know, there's, it's a story. I was going to go to work for Harry Hyde with Jeff Bodine and then Rusty and Jeff Bodine got into a wreck at Darlington and I'd already been interviewed with Harry Hyde. Harry Hyde wanted me to be the new car chief. Uh, so I was going to go work for, that was Rick Hendricks' team, the five all-star car. Uh, and then they said, well, we're, we're not going to have you come to work for us now because Jeff Bodine hates your brother, Rusty. <laughs> and, and, and that's that's true. I mean, that's so accurate, it's unbelievable. So, Dad, I think I told Dad what happened. And he said, come home. We miss you. So me and Kim were excited, and we moved. Well, hold on. Let me back up. The, the Joe Rutman team shut down. That Levi Garrett team closed down. Henry, uh, that, was, that was the other Henry Benfield who was a doctor. So there, there's two Henry Benfields, not, not the Junior Johnson fun Henry Benfield. There was another Henry Benfield that owned the Joe Rutman Levi Garrett car. That team shuts down at the end of 84. Uh, he loses a sponsor to Hendrick, Rick Hendrick. And uh, so then I, I end up going back home, and I think Dad ended up paying me, maybe not Dad, but Uncle Gary. Uh, the Wallace family, you know, like me and Mike and Rusty, we're redneck as hell. We don't got anything. <laughs> and uh, But Uncle Gary is the entrepreneur of the bunch. He's, he's a good businessman. So I go back to St. Louis and uh, literally repair vacuum cleaners on a bench. And uh, I remember the first couple months, it was very demoralizing. I was heartbroken that I made that decision. Uh, I couldn't believe it. They started, the, they started the 1985 Daytona 500 without me. And uh, you talk about <laughs> heartbroken. It was horrible. But, but here's the way I got racing. Um, our local businessman named John Childs, Childs Tire, he helped my brother Rusty make it. He called me up. Literally, I didn't call him. He called me. So dad calls me to come home. I come home. I'm repairing back. There's John Childs. Misses racing with Rusty. Misses it. And he says, you want to go racing? So I go up there and oh my gosh. Uh, you know, between... Uh, 
between Kim buying my, my wife, buying a Dylan trailer with her, uh, you know, I, don't know, I think she's make $200 a week as a cafeteria uh, cook and uh, me scrapping some money. How in the hell I did it? And I look back on it. I can't, I can't believe it, but I ended up uh, getting my motor from Don Kern. Don Kern made me give him a uh, 30% of my earnings. So I never had to pay for a motor. I had to give him my earnings. Uh, and I made it to NASC uh, to, I made it to the ASA series. So 86, I become rookie of the year. I run some really good races and I outrun Gary St. Amant for the rookie of the year in 1986. I honed my skills. I become better in 87 and 88. And then out of damn nowhere, uh, our brother, the great Rusty Wallace calls me up November of 1988. And he says, Herman, do you want to move back down South? You prove that you can drive a race car. Do you want to come down here? And I will start a Bush Grand National team for you. So November of 1988, Mike, I remember you and all of us holding a little Bon Voyage party for me in Valley Park. And uh, I moved back down south, but this time as, as a race car driver. And uh, so I was back and forth to North Carolina a couple of times. And that, that brings you up to date. Well, the story is so cool, right? Yeah. So you, you, you move back to North Carolina. You're driving for our brother, Rusty Wallace. Yep. And if I remember right, you guys have got a shop out behind the Charlotte Motor Speedway. You're looking yep. big time. And yep. you, you go to Daytona for your first race. And what happens down there in qualifying? So the, the very first year, uh, we rented a shop from David If down in Lake Wiley, South Carolina. Because Rusty... You know, we did, we put the deal together so quick, uh, you know, we didn't have a shop. So, uh, David, if is the crew chief and I'm setting the chassis up, David wanted me to do all that. Uh, we had Jim Murray, who was too canny, put the body on the car. So my very first time to Daytona, I went down there and tested for a couple months. NASCAR approved me. They knew that I ran ASA, they, they knew that I ran uh, Milwaukee, Winchester, Salem, and I even ran Michigan at one time in ASA. So they approved my ability, and we went to Daytona in 1989, and we set, set on the pole quick time, uh, 46.73 seconds around the Daytona Speedway at a speed of uh, 192.73 mile an hour. Never forget it. Those those statistics are burnt in my brain forever. I was and, uh, I was going to say, Jeff, you don't think he remembered those statistics, right? do you? Yeah, exactly. One hundred ninety-two point. What was it? Yeah, <laughs> seven three. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I think the reason I remember all that is because I always enjoyed announcers. You know, uh, ladies and gentlemen, he's out of St. Louis, Missouri. He's the Missouri hot shoe. Kenny Wallace, the crowd would go wild. NASCAR money. Would, yeah, and I always and, and, and I always listen to uh, I always listen to radio. You know, it's seventy two degrees at three oh nine. Here's Conway Twitty and Loretta Lynn. <laughs> so so, I mean, so Jeff, being a radio guy yourself, and so good at it, right? 
So Kenny, and now we're jumping around. So right. he used to entertain our family at home <laughs> in the mornings and all that. So doing his radio yeah, stuff. Doing his radio stuff. So you you have to do Kenny. You have to do for Jeff because he's so big in radio. You have to do Eli Gold at Daytona International Speedway coming off a of turn four, crossing the pit gate. Well. First of all, with Eli, right? But you know, first of all, it's MRN Radio, right? <laughs> na, na, na. Hello, this is MRN Radio. I'm Eli Gold. Welcome to the World Center of Speed, Daytona International Motor Speedway, Daytona Beach, Florida. The story is this: Missouri Hot Shoe Kenny Wallace still leads this Goodies 300. Here he comes off a of turn four, Kenny Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> Wallace leads through the travel as he fades into turn one, and the sun sets in the west. Kenny Wallace continues lead to Goodies 300. <laughs> MRN Radio. So you you have to listen to this stuff as he's growing up. And we're sitting, and again, I'm going to jump all around now. We lost total direction on our show. So we're sitting at the kitchen table. Rusty, Kenny, and I one morning, mom, typical mom, gets up, fixes breakfast. We're getting ready to go to school, and Herm's playing with his, he's eating a bowl of milk, or eating a bowl of cereal. Go ahead. Uh, well, no, yeah, the Hot Wheels. I love my Hot Wheels. You know, I I had a I I have and had a big imagination. We we all know that all of us as children we have imagination because we don't know anything, right? And uh, but I was wanting to imitate Rusty and Mike and Dad. And remember, I'm a kid, right? So I'm a I'm a baby pretty much. And uh, I got my Hot Wheels, and man, I wanted to race so bad. And uh, so I'm literally racing my Hot Wheels at mom made breakfast and uh, had a little spilt milk. And I was announcing, you know, I'm like, Mike Wallace coming off. Of oh, oh, no, Mike Wallace in the milk. Mike Wallace is in the milk. In the milk. He, ga he gains control. Wallace, Mike Wallace gains control after going through some scrambled eggs and milk. And he's off. Right away. And <laughs> Rusty, I look up, you know. And Rusty was never really crazy, right? He's laughing his butt off, and Mike and Mom. But and the reason they said it was funny was because I was serious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when when Mike got into the milk and up through the scrambled eggs, and Ronnie Hoover got back on the inside of him, it was a devastating blow. And uh, but Mike, you know, got back control, got back in the lead. I got to be honest with you. I've sat, I've sat in some creative sessions for advertising copy before. That would be a great commercial, a great cereal commercial or NASCAR commercial with the family all around. And oh, I, I knew you would get a kick out of this whole thing because he, he and I. The cool part is I remember it exactly how he's doing it, and think of all these years later, he can duplicate it again today. So. Hey, it, it it's funny because uh, I watch people grow up. And they'll get real serious, and I got to stop. I'm like, hold on, hold on, bub. I know who you really are. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everybody. You know, it's it's like Warren Buffett or Bill Gates. I mean, they were kids. You know, I mean, quit acting like you were not a child. So uh, we all grow up, we make money, and then we think we gotta be different. But in reality, all of us are products of our childhood. Without a doubt. So we're going to now try to get back on in shape here. And you got time for another segment, Herman? 
You get, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Hey, so, this is therapy for me. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm making me better. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're going to jump back now. You were uh, you drove for Rusty in a Bush Series car, right? It was called the Bush Grand National Series then. You yep. sat on, you've sat on the pole at Daytona. So I'm assuming your career is just stellar. You're, you're, you're a superstar from that point forward. Am I right or right. wrong? Right. Yeah, I was. I was for 89... 1989-1990-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-91-
And when we come back, I have no idea where we're going to go. So you're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the SpeedSport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. All right, welcome back, y'all. We're talking to Kenny Wallace on Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the SpeedSport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. Mike, take it away. Well, as we were talking, Herm, you were devastated for a point in your life of your career. But, you know, they always say when you can have the last laugh, there's a big story behind that. So the career doesn't go exactly like you're wanting it to. You're not, as you've repeated to me numerous times, you weren't Jeff Gordon. You didn't end up being him, but you've turned out to be much bigger and better from that point. Well, tell us, moving forward from that challenging year in cup racing, the next highlights of the life. Well, we, you know, we, we, we made a lot of comebacks and, uh, you know, I thought I, I did a good job at driving the car, but, uh, you know, nothing never stuck, but I was able to run my mouth and get a lot of sponsors on my own. And I raced in NASCAR at the highest level till I was like 51 years old. And, uh, you know, I'm proud of 905 NASCAR starts. I'm proud that I got the most starts in the Xfinity Series history. Now, all these stats are because I was able to get sponsorship on my own. Uh, but I guess what really saved my career was, at the time, Ed Gorn, who was the president of Fox Sports out of L.A. Ed Gorn got my phone number. Now, Ed Gorn is the guy that hired Troy Aikman, uh, you know, Joe Buck, uh, you know, he was the president of Fox Sports. He called me up and he said, hey, he says, uh, we're going to start this network and uh, want you to be part of our broadcast. And it scared me so bad. <laughs> that he, he, he gave me I was 36 years old. He gave me a lot of time. And in the end, I told him, no, I couldn't do it. Well, then let's fast forward a couple of years. And then I remember I was at the Chicago airport and I literally fell to my knees. My heart started beating and I called him back and I said, Hey, I'm ready. So, um, TV saved my life. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that saved my life, but that was big. So I ended up, uh, working for Fox sports for now. Remember Fox owned speed. Okay. So don't complicate the two of them. Uh, Fox owned speed TV. So when I went to work for Speed, I was being paid by Fox. So I have a Speed logo on, but my check said Fox, you know, ports. Um, so I worked in TV for 15 years. And, um, you know, I think it's like Patty Wheeler said, she says you're good on TV because you got a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> and I never thought about that. But um, so, yeah, brother. Uh, now, here's what's crazy about that. When I was doing TV, uh, the Furniture Row team, Barney Visser, called me and wanted me to be their race car driver because the whole time I'm doing TV, I'm still driving. I'm still racing in the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series. It was insane. Uh, so you were double-dipping, uh, triple-dipping at the time then, huh? Yeah, Money to be wise. real honest. TV, yeah, racing, the whole yeah, yes. all going on. Now you're starting to add my money up. And that's where I was, <laughs> Look at all those zeros. Here's that NASCAR money come back into you. <laughs> now, hey, that, that, is, that is no lie. I sort of got my on my children. 
that's where I was killing. We don't it. have to get that serious. <laughs> yeah, well, that, but no, I mean, everybody, you know, how, here, let me imitate people. Kenny Wallace did not run good. Where did he make all his money? And you just hit it right on the head, right there. <laughs> I was double, I was double dipping for a long time, buddy. <laughs> I, I was getting, I was getting that TV money and, uh, and I was running. Got to remember, I ran that furniture road car for a long time. And uh, so I was going on the TV set before the cup race. Then I would jump in the cup car and race. And I did that for a long time. Well, you, you and you did a very good job at it. You know, that's the greatest thing that happened in, in your TV career. And you can elaborate a little bit more on the TV stuff. You made everybody laugh. You did funny things. You give us just some highlights that uh, – Everybody remembers Kenny Wallace on television still to this day. So what was some things you guys did? Well, I, I would say that I can, you know, let me just give me three minutes because it's not that simple. I'm very confusing to people, right? Because I'm really controversial, right? Uh, that's one of the biggest things about me is I get, I get put on the desk. I'm a race car driver and they want my opinion. So I would give my honest opinion and it, it was very, very controversial, but truthful. But the funny side, I could turn funny in a heartbeat. For example, I would always imitate Ric Flair, right? Always. You know, nature boy. And uh, How did you so, do that? Like so what? So John Roberts, oh, this is funny. So <laughs> this, is, this is a great story. So John Roberts at the Charlotte Motor Speedway just starts on live TV, says, uh, Kenny, do Ric Flair. And I thought it was really odd that he was asking me to do this live. You know, we're not at, we are not at commercial break. So I get up, I start doing my strut, and the real Ric Flair comes walking up the steps. Oh, they, they, oh it fooled me. So I, I so I'm like, oh my god, I'm calculating in my head real quick. So I, I do like they do in wrestling. I fall to my knees, and I ask Flair for forgiveness, <laughs> and he starts he starts laughing. Hey. And you can Google it right now. It, it's all over the internet. And uh, but uh, that was the things that Speed would do. Speed TV. And then when they got rid of Speed, they they cleaned it up too perfectly, and they ruined it. And they know that. And they're they apologize to this day for it. And uh, Eric Shanks, the president, to this day looks at me right now and he goes, Kenny, I hated getting rid of Speed and Race Day, but we had to spend so much money starting up you know this this complete new fs1 that it just destroyed all the all the fun so through through that television career you're you <laughs> i'm thinking about you impersonating rick flair right now because i <laughs> i honestly ran into rick flair a couple years ago and we got talked about that particular event and how kenny impersonates him and he knows that and he, he thinks it's funny as heck so out of your television career, let's just hit that for a moment. You, you're doing the speed yep. deal. You're on Fox. You're you're yep. really really known now because of who you are on the on the television world. What's one of the coolest highlights other other than the Rick Flair story out of television? Because I'm going to ask you for a couple other highlights before we get done here. Well, the craziest highlight was uh, we're at Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, I don't know. I'd run. I'd run top 10 in the Xfinity race on Saturday and I get on the TV set on Sunday and they were, they would use that as, Hey, 
Kenny Wallace, you were on the racetrack yesterday. You finished fifth or sixth. Tell us what we're looking forward today. And uh, it double duty, right? You know, so I'd give my opinion, but I was racing. So it was a real deal. Well, all of a sudden, at commercial break, they get into my ear and they say, uh, Jack Roush wants to talk to you. And I'm thinking, what did I say to Jack Roush? What did I? I didn't. I don't think I messed him. You know, made him mad at me. So the night before, I guess uh, the sheriff's department got mad at Kurt Busch, and they said Kurt Busch cannot run the cup the cup race. And they literally they literally jerked me right off the stage. And I, by the time I got to Kurt Busch's car, they asked me to drive the Crown Royal number 97 cup car. They took me right off the TV stage and there was a thousand people gathered around that car. When I got to the garage area, it's still in my TV attire. And, um, they, uh, we, we took a Porter power cause Kurt's so skinny, uh, jumped in that thing, started dead last, no practice and finished 16th on the lead lap. And, uh, that, you know, it, it is, you know, one of the craziest, greatest memories, uh, you know, of my TV career. Now, listen, Mike, you know, there's a lot more, but... Uh, we don't have time was, for all that. <laughs> right. That was the craziest one. Craziest one. Okay, so you know, it's funny. We interviewed Mark Martin. So that was at Phoenix, right? So right. I talked to Mark Martin, and you, since you and him are big buddies, I said, Mark, what was your most favorite cup race? What did it mean to you? And he says, winning my last race at Phoenix. So both of you have a, a Phoenix story in common there. So, it's a fun, yeah. So you're drug off the television set, and I remember that. I didn't remember that, how that come down. I just remember about the Kurt Busch deal in the local police department there. He couldn't race. You drove the next day. So let's kind of back up a little bit. That was kind of a funny television thing, or go forward a little bit. Give me your biggest ASA highlight. Now, for everybody that doesn't know, ASA stood for American Speed Association. And every hero driver ran ASA. Anybody who was a cup star at one time ran that. So give me just your best ASA, most unforgettable moment. We won't say the best, most unforgettable moment. The greatest ASA memory for me was Anderson, Indiana, uh, 1988, 1988, right before I go down to NASCAR. And uh, we had a rain delay. And I'm running second, and my hero, the great Dick Trickle, is leading the race. And uh, they drop the green flag, and I get – for some reason, you know, Dick's, Dick was staying off the bottom because he thought it was a little bit too wet around, you know, the yellow line down there. And we ran side by side, and I made Dick go hard. And uh, Dick wins the race, 400-lapper. <laughs> Four hundred lapper. I run second, and we get out, and we, you know, we drink beer later on. And he looked at me, says, he said, "My boy," he said, I, "The track was still a little wet. I, I was pacing you." And uh, I'm like, "Well, you let me get on the inside, and then you pick the pace up." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, ASA was awesome. Uh, I mean, I wished I could have learned to drive a race car before then. I think it was unfair for me to start my racing career in the biggest form of short track racing in the world. Hell, I didn't even race locally. I mean, my my first race was ASA. That's not right. 
Well, no, saying it's a compliment to you. The first race you ever win is at the Springfield Mile. You win that race. You become a crew chief in the Cup Series. You go back ASA racing, then you're bush racing, then you're cup racing. Then you're working for That's Fox Sports. Then you're a Sports. TV star. I mean, well, you know, <laughs> great thing. So three minutes to go here, and so we can't make it all too long. But now let's fast forward right before television. You, yep. you know, you run your final races of the couple years or whatever there in a cup car. Give me your uh, finest memory in a cup car. Oh, God. I mean, here's what's here's what's crazy about that. Although my career was no good in cup, I had a lot of great memories, right? Just not every single week. So, uh, you know, uh, listen, we run second three times, right? Uh, hey, let, 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 me, let me help you on this because – Everybody I know thinks it's one of the greatest deals. Tell the world the Talladega Dale Earnhardt story. You and him coming from the back. Well, first of all, I want to I want to tell you that it runs second at Loudon to Jeff Burton. That was a close one. Uh, then we run second in the Pennzoil car at Rockingham. That was a close one. Both of them were really could have won one way or the other, but the Talladega one is the one everybody wants to talk about because. Dale Sr. got on radio and, and TV and gave me all the credit for him winning. And the bottom line is, you know, Earnhardt took that white glove and he put it up and said, come on, help me. And, you know, if it weren't for Dale Sr., I would have never really – he let me drive his car, uh, the number eight GM Goodrun Chevrolet, remember, in the Bush Series. That was my very first Bush Series race, driving his car at Martinsville. So I owed Earnhardt for helping me get going. And when Earnhardt put that white paw up, he said, let's go. Uh, at that time, we couldn't we couldn't hit each other because our cars wouldn't get there. You know, wouldn't we couldn't make contact because the cars just it wouldn't do that, even if you wanted to. So I just stayed loyal to him. I followed in every track he made. And uh, it ended up being Dale Sr.'s last one of his life. Very sad. But at the time, it was very exciting, very happy. And, uh, you know, uh, after that, I'll never forget, we went down and he said, uh, you just want help, Herman, you just help me win a million dollars. I'm going to make you a drink. So he made me a, he, he made me a vodka and orange juice. And uh, we drank, copped a little buzz that night. And then we stayed over and did a little testing for Andy Petrie the next day. And... Um, Dale Sr. was incredibly good to me. I don't like to talk about it that much because I don't like it when people pile on and go, you know, me and Earnhardt, me and Earnhardt. When in reality, it was me and Earnhardt. He was extremely nice to me, spoiled me. But when he lost his life, it was a devastating blow, and I can't even watch the movies because uh, he was so good to me. And, uh, yeah, so that was a hell of a race. All right. Well, let's end this on a high note. Kenny Wallace. The Herminator. <laughs> yep. NASCAR money. Yep. You had a wonderful career. Thanks for spending the yep. time with us. And you sound like you're in a real good spot right now. Congratulations on that, my friend. I am so damn happy. Uh, I love my brother, Rusty. I love my brother, Mike. My, my brothers are so good to me. And uh, I really appreciate you all having me on. You betcha. You've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media.